Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of Say Who Say Pod. Maybe, Danny, I should say uh, season two, episode one. This is now oh, yeah, coming we're up gonna on go... our, our second football season here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're going to roll it over. Time for something new, uh, a new and improved version. I don't know if we want to say improved. Well, it'll... we have to. We have to we have to let them hear it to believe it. It's a new episode. We can say that. It's a you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's a continuation of the content we've been producing on some level. I've heard that there's there's definitely a trend that can happen in Seattle where they're like all of a sudden it's back, yeah, <laughs> and then it's gonna come back again, and then it's gonna come back again, like a bo- like a boomerang. <laughs> yeah, just keep going round and round. Uh, Reboot that sucker. <laughs> It's like Journey, the nonstop reunion tour. Is it so? When does it stop being a reunion? Like when are you? <laughs> when are you just together? I don't know. I don't know where you take brief hiatuses. Like, do you ever have a friend that would that would say they were just on break, like with their girlfriend? Like it wasn't they were broken up. It was like we're on a break. And I always like that. Always puzzled me. I was like. You guys have just accepted the in the concor like in the contours of your relationship that there are periods of intermittent separation. And I was like, and I maybe that's a sustainable approach that you're like for six months a year, like we're together, and then for three months, like we don't talk, and then for three months we start making like like making up with each other, and then we move back in together. It takes all kinds. This does. You mentioned reunion tour. This reminds me uh, when I was 15 years old. I, I got really into Simon and Garfunkel for whatever reason. I think my mom like really? taught me the greatest hits. Yeah, to this to this day, one of my favorite artists of, of all time. So, you, what what year is your fifteen? Uh, that would have been I turned fifteen in two thousand two. Okay, so you are you are. That's kind of the indie rap like backpacker era of hip hop, and you are Simon and Garfunkel at that point. I, I was in I was into all kinds of hip hop and stuff too, but I remember. <laughs> Listening to LP as well as yes. getting into a little Simon and Garfunkel. A winter's day. <laughs> I remember talking to my dad saying, man, I, like, I'd love to see Simon and Garfunkel in concert. It's too bad, you know, they had their dispute or whatever. And he, I, I think, sarcastically said, well, I'll tell you what, if they ever get back together, we'll, we'll go see them. And they literally announced their reunion tour like six months later. I went with my parents and saw them at the Rose Garden to this day. Uh, still, still one of the best shows I've ever seen. That's fantastic. That's it was a great amazing. Story. <laughs> if that ever happens, we'll go see him. And you're like, guess what? It happened. I you was... didn't even you didn't even have to wait through the pain of the breakup. For you, it was just no. a continuation of their work. I was like, wow, these guys are good. Oh, they're broken. Up. Oh, they're 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 going on tour again. Amazing. I'm the youngest person here. This is great. Oh, that's fantastic. <sighs> Where you're not coming out for for Kent State, are you? I am not, and actually, I am going to the U.S. Open on Friday, September second. And it was at the U.S. Open last year, standing on the subway platform waiting for train the seven train that I learned. Uh, I believe it was from uh, we talked about this last week. A tweet that Washington had lost to Montana. So you're going to risk that that karmic adventure again? Yeah, the convergence. It's a week. The, the weeks are a little bit off because last last year, the final was on the, the Huskies opening day. Like last year, the final was the first weekend in September. And this year, it's the final will be next weekend. So we, I, I'm, I'm trusting that the chain like that'll that'll 
that'll throw off any coincidence or karmic implications. What's your um, what's your setup at home when you when you watch a a Washington football game? Are you like a one spot on the couch the whole time guy? Can't miss a play. What's what yes. do you got going on? Yes, uh, I am in a specific corner of the couch. Now, being on the East Coast, which is an awful place to watch sports, just horrible. Uh, usually have to take a nap earlier in the day because I'm old and the game's going to start at 1030. And that's it's a college football game. So you got to you got to buckle in for 15 to 20 minute late start plus three and a half hours, fairly minimum run of game. So. Like it's it's a commitment. Like it takes takes a little bit of planning. The the thing that throws it off is I'm a loud clapper, even when I'm by myself, or especially when I'm by myself. I'm a loud clapper, and I okay. It that's tougher to do at eleven thirty. Like even if my wife's not home or not not in, that's it feels weird to be clapping really loud in your living room at eleven thirty p.m. Do you think your neighbors? Do you like do you, do you share walls? Do you do your neighbors hear you clapping at at Pac twelve football? I, I do share walls. They're fairly thick. I don't really hear anyone, but yeah, I'm I'm probably the loudest. But I mean, just judging on the overall history and the fact that I am a fairly loud human being, I I would guess that there's times that they've seen they they've or heard evidence of it. They, we haven't had a, a catastrophe like the missed field goal attempt at Oregon a few <laughs> years back since I've been out here. Like something where I really start writhing in in pain. Like when they when they missed that field goal, the game they lost in overtime. Like it really, it affected my vision for a solid ten to fifteen seconds. Like where things got a little blurry and there was like went out of focus. Like I was I was affected by that. Are you are you on the train to like stop stopping the clock when players run out of bounds? Stop stopping it on first down so that you can fit college football games into the, the three hour window that the NFL has mastered. No, that doesn't bother me that much. Like when, when I'm watching a game and I'm enjoying it, the, the, the part of it that I don't like is that you have to wait for the games to start because other games run long, but I'm, I'm not, I'm a grumpy old man about enough things that like, that's, that's, that's a bridge too far for me. Like, no, I don't mind the length of games. Um, I wish games started on time. I it, but that's also because I'm a selfish jerk who's like I don't care if all Pac-12 games like are lined up and you one finishes before the next because I don't really care about Johnny Sixpack who's sitting at home watching them. Um, but no, I don't. I don't get bent out of shape about the length of games. You know what I get bent out of shape about, Christian? What is it? Punning. When when you have an opportunity, like when the only real chance for you to win is to is to is to keep the ball and try and try and go score a touchdown, like, that's the sort of thing that really bothers me. That really chaps my hide. Well, fortunately, that doesn't happen a whole lot. Yeah, hopefully not anymore. <laughs> uh, I well, you'll be you'll be three hours ahead, and I will yes. actually I, I will share. Uh, I don't think I've I've tweeted. I need to I need to tweet it at some point tomorrow, just so people know. I actually I'll be three hours behind. Uh, kickoff time for this game, Danny. I will not be there. Are you going to be in Hawaii? One of my very good friends is getting married in Hawaii, and I, I, I can't miss that. Um, very excited to to go That's over. Fantastic. For, where for a few where are you guys nights. going? Oahu, Oahu, Big Island. Yep, Oahu. Oh, That's great. Love the I Big love Island, Hawaii, man. We 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 took an annual trip to the Big Island when I lived in Seattle. This year we went to the Virgin Islands. Not the same. Just not Hawaii. Hawaii is awesome. 
That's it. That'll be fantastic. Are you gonna Are you gonna watch the game? Or are you gonna take like? I, that's Saturday, kind of mid afternoonish. You can't you can't be ducking away to watch the Huskies. No, you guys are Husky fans. The the wedding starts at four p.m. Hawaii time, so nope. that's uh, that's right. That's a half hour before kickoff. I plan I plan to not be thinking about it too much. Good, just good. Enjoy the night. Whatever happens will will happen, and it'll still be there for me to to analyze and digest and stuff. We do, you know. I I figure I'm gonna try to. I don't know. Can you download? like DVR recordings from Comcast onto a device to watch like separately, like not actually streaming it. Cause that's a six hour flight home. Uh, I be... heard that. I, I heard that that was a big point of emphasis for Larry Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we got this TV network and we're going to provide games on demand. So if somebody who is a, who is a, a Washington graduate and they have a wedding in Hawaii and they need to watch the game, it will be available to their personal device. We're going to make sure it happens. It won't be available on direct TV, but by gosh, if you've got Comcast, you're going to get a direct download. That's a high minded endeavor. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, a conference not made up of research institutions wouldn't think to, to accommodate that, I suppose. If I, I believe Larry Scott is living in New York, uh, and the, as I said, I'm going to the tennis tournament tomorrow. If I see him, I'm going to spill water on him, like, and and then I might go get a second water and spill that one on him too, so that, that he knows that the first one wasn't a mistake. Do you think I'll if you, show him? Do you think he would just throw away those pants? <laughs> <laughs> Pull an identical pair out of a briefcase. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, he's, he's a singles tennis player, man. We should have known it when we saw his resume. <laughs> like he's a singles tennis player. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, are, how, does does it feel like the first week of the season to you? At all? I mean, it feels like yeah. the off season just goes by in a in a blink. But at the same time, it feels like it lasts forever. I found myself getting excited, and this is first of all watching Nebraska lose last week because I don't know if you'd seen the Scott Frost quote uh they have a new offensive line coach the vomiting yeah donovan riola and there's like well we've set a record for offensive linemen vomiting this year and like as soon as i saw that i was like fade nebraska like fade them (laughs) they're coached by morons coached by absolute idiots and then sure enough what happens it comes out they lose their opener against northwestern i think they played over in dublin because god knows the irish really want to watch the corn huskers play the wildcats and Scott Frost, I think they were up 13, and he decided to go onside kick, and it just exploded. They faded down the stretch. It was beautiful. I watched most of that game, and the whole, pretty much the whole second half. As soon as I saw, I saw that puking, was it 15 to 20 pukes per practice? That's what he was claiming, That's yeah. astronomical. I mean, he, he walked it back later. I think he was like, oh, I was exaggerating. If you've got multiple players puking per practice like deep into fall camp that's a problem what's just dumb right like and it it's not i don't even i don't think that was happening it's, but the fe- fact it does, that speaks he, more to he, the mentality yes he thinks it's impressive to say that means he's a moron like absolute idiot the and and appealing to that sort of i'm gonna go bang my head against a steel pole mentality of what toughness is it's just dumb. Like, off-season conditioning, like you could maybe start to make the merits of an argument about about sort of pushing and challenging players to to develop 
more more stamina. But even then, I think we've generally progressed beyond that. But in full camp, like that's that's just telling him you're asking him to do things that they're not capable of doing. And then he throws his offensive staff under the bus after the first game. Yeah, like you had a two score lead and you onside kicked and just <laughs> killed your momentum. Like you've had, you, right. they have some good offensive linemen. I think they have some pretty good running backs and quarterback kind of kind of faded down the stretch there, but like made a couple of good. But like you've got some pieces. You were moving the places. Northwestern. You got to be able to push them around, man. Like come on. Nebraska is should be the cautionary tale. I always like to say it should be the coal in the canary mine. It, it, for Washington when it talks about wanting to go to the Big Ten. Because Nebraska and Washington were pretty comparable programs for an awful long time. Nebraska probably a a notch up in the 80s in terms of national standing. But some real comparable things about the the nature of their success, like being able to sustain it. Nebraska moved to the Big Ten and has become an absolute afterthought. And I think part of it is because they've lost – what what their identity is in in that conference like that they just don't so i i look at that i i kind of like watching them lose has there ever been a coach that is more just clearly fired after the first game (laughs) because i i i watch them lose and blow it and and you know they they fade like you said because of the just inexplicable decision to onside kick there it kills the momentum he trashed, you know, basically says that they're not innovative enough offensively after one game. Like, dude, yeah. were you involved in the game planning? Like, did you look at the script? Like, come on, man. Like, you got to take some responsibility for that. He's already, I mean, his seat is hotter than any coach in college football coming into the game. And he's just, it, it's one of those games where it, it felt a little bit like some, some Jimmy Lake type vibes from last year where it's like, no, it's just, this is done. This is done. This is over. There's nothing he can do to to redeem this now. Yeah, and that program, like you look at their hires, so twice they've went out and got sort of the hot shot college candidate coach, right? In Pelini and then and 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 now Frost. And you also had Bill Callahan there, who was the the NFL refugee, who Bill Callahan's really well regarded in the NFL in terms of his ability to coach offensive line in a running game. And he couldn't get it going there either. They've got some. There's some real questions about. I. They've. 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 They are the nightmare scenario for Washington in terms of a national power losing its what was its foothold and prominence. Yeah, there, there's. I still feel like they have what you need. They have the infrastructure at Nebraska. They've got. Still have very passionate, intense fan support, and I feel like that's. That's like half the battle. It's just having the people that are going to show up no matter what. They still, I mean, what do they still get fifty thousand at their spring game or, mm-hmm. or or sell out their spring game or whatever? I mean, they're one of those programs in terms of of always having that support and people who will give money and people who who care enough to want to push a coach out when he's not doing well. But at at some point, you got to get the hire right. You got to get somebody in there who who knows what they're doing. And I don't know, like I. I you look, last year was bizarre for them, all those one score games. But it's yeah, it's kind of get, it is getting to the point where you're wondering like, well, maybe the days of Nebraska as a blue blood are are just over, and that shouldn't be the standard, and that shouldn't be the expectation because the game has changed, and they've changed conferences, and they're in a conference with two schools, Ohio State and Michigan, that are 
going to out-recruit them on a regular basis no matter what, just straight off the top to say nothing of Penn State and Wisconsin and, and everybody else. So, yeah, I mean, those, those are the things I think about when I, I think about Washington potentially joining the Big Ten. Did you see Brett McMurphy's tweet yesterday? No. What did he say? That So it was it was basically the same thing he tweeted about Oregon a week before that not – not of officials from the school, but representatives of, of the University of Washington met with representatives of, of the Big Ten, uh, presumably in Chicago. I don't know if he specified it was in Chicago, but it was one of those. It's like, well, they they should definitely be doing that, um, but it's it's perhaps newsworthy that it actually did happen or, or reportedly did happen. Yeah, I'll just hold my breath. I I hope it doesn't. I hope they don't end up going. I understand that they need to talk to them, and, and there's, there's no— I don't want to read too much into it either way. Like my preference would be that they came out and said, no, we're not doing that, but they can't really do that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want it to happen. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't want to see the conference lose any more than it already has. And again, I think that the officials should job USC and UCLA on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the quote from Jim Harbaugh? Uh, about, um, Pick, go, going with two quarterbacks because of scripture. Yes, he says no person. That's biblical. No person knows what the future holds. It's a process, and it's going to be based on performance. But we're not going to withhold any good thing. Both have been tremendous quarterbacks. We think that both are capable of leading our team to a championship. <laughs> some people have asked, "How do you come to that decision? Was it based on some kind of NFL model?" No. It's really based biblical. Solomon, he was known to be a pretty mm. wise person. That's right. Because <laughs> I... as, as we were talking about Nebraska, I was like, we've lost kind of the cult of personality with coach, with, with coaches around the country because there's not as much tenure. And then as I was thinking about that, like, no, there's still tons of personality because that lunatic is up there coaching Michigan. Solomon was a big seven-on-seven seven guy, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't think Solomon, I don't think the point of the story with Solomon was that you had to choose a starting quarterback. <laughs> I, don't, like I, got a, I got a question. I, I don't want to get theological about it, but I got, to under, I got a question whether or not Jim Harbaugh has a firm handle on what that parable actually is. <laughs> Are they trying to? Is he talking about splitting Cade McNamara in half? Is is there someone that wants him to be split down the middle? What the hell's going on? If thine season opener is against <laughs> Colorado State, yay! <laughs> oh, oh, he's a weirdo. I'll tell giant, you, giant weirdo. I'll tell you what, they could start you or me against Hawaii and maybe get get by in that one. Do you see what Vanderbilt did to them? No. They oh, beat Vandy mopped him. They beat him sixty-three to ten in week zero. Oh, uh, that's which is a bummer. Hawaii's... I like it when Hawaii's yeah. good, and I feel like Timmy Chang I... is a, a good fit there, and seems like someone who, you know, will run like a, a fun program and everything. But there, it's 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 not great for Hawaii right now. No, and they had a lot of problems at the end of last season. Like there was a lot of issues with Captain Headset. What was his name from Arizona State? Yeah, Pat um, Graham. Graham. Yeah, who not, was there? Not Pat. What is Todd? Blanking? Todd, Todd Graham. Todd Graham. Yes. Todd Graham. Who was the source of one of the better quotes? Because he left Pittsburgh. Maybe it was after one season to go to Arizona State, and somebody I saw a quote from somebody who goes. 
I don't know if he's got a lot of family everywhere, but now I've seen him leave two jobs quoting like it's getting closer to family. <laughs> he said that that doesn't make much sense to me, which is like fair enough. Well, closer to family, but at Hawaii, apparently he was too far from the Dr. Pepper vending machines. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I got a question for you about Husky defense. Let's let's hear it. What is the Husky? So it's a, it's it's basically just their name for for their nickel. Um, it's a hybrid. It's like a hybrid uh, slot corner safety ish linebacker ish, like a like almost like a like a slot corner who can can offer really good run support. It's interesting at Fresno. They had a bunch of different body types listed at that position. Like they had some guys who were bigger. I think Dom Hampton is the ideal size for it. I mean, he's listed at like six two, two twenty five or something like that. Six three, two twenty five. So someone who is like classically trained as a corner or safety, uh, but who's really big and physical and and tough to deal with in the run game. Uh, I think I think that's kind of the. But really, they've. I mean, the, Hampton was a safety last year. So it is kind of it's a it's a change for him, but Cam Fabiculanen played nickel last year. He's the backup at Husky right now. Dyson McCutcheon, who was a 2021 signee, um, he was more kind of in that corner nickel mold, and he's what five ten or five eleven, and he's he's listed as the the third stringer there. So um, it's I I want to say like coverage is is proud. Like if you can't if you can't cover, you're not playing that position. Um, but you need to be able to to play in the box and and help out in the run game and stuff too. Washington, in under Jimmy Lake, their slot corners were exceptional. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it was one of the things that really stood out. And it sounds like this is going to be a little bit different in what they ask that's that that slot corner, the nickel back to do that they're going to have to be a little bit more upfront and involved in, in the run game. It sounds like they're going to be bigger players. I think so. And especially against, you know, like I'm interested to see when they play against teams that run the ball more, which obviously Kent state is going to, going to run the heck out of the ball and they're going to play tempo. Do they still roll with that base of five DBs because they consider that Husky position to be, you know, someone who ideally can, can kind of give you both. Or do they go with some sub packages where it's a more traditional two corners and two safeties and they bring either an extra interior lineman in or maybe an extra linebacker or, or something like that? Um, I think that's that'll be kind of interesting to monitor. But I think Dom Hampton is a guy they really like who, I mean, he's as physically imposing as, as anybody they have in the defensive backfield. So I would think that they would want him on the field, you know, rather than not. That secondary for the first time in a while i don't want to say it's full of question marks but you lose two guys who are really well regarded in high draft picks there there are going to be some new faces not so much at safety but at, but at corner and they're going to play differently than they have like that's that's been the hallmark of washington's defense for what the last five or six years at least do you think that's changing going forward i mean they talk about how they want to be really aggressive and attacking and you know we when you think about what that means for the corners my mind goes to oh well like those guys are going to have to be able to play on an island you mm-hmm. know those guys like you think back to the the early 90s when they sent 
you know, five, six guys on every play or whatever it was and how good their corners had to be. And they were, I don't know if you're quite relying on them to be, to be that good. Um, I think they have someone in Jordan Perryman who they, they think, you know, can, can be that sort of upper echelon of the conference type of cornerback. And he's really physical. And I think you would trust him on an Island. You'd trust him in one-on-one coverage. Uh, Mishael Powell is someone they've, you know, they've also been really high on. Um, he's maybe not the, he doesn't have as much experience and, and he's maybe not as, as physically gifted as Powell, right. Or as, uh, as Perryman right now. Um, but you know, I like, it's, it's so weird because they've put all these guys in the draft and they had recruited so well for so long. And yet now this year your corners, and I'm, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's, they can't win with these guys or that they can't be good, but you would think, okay, you know, bring up the next couple four-star recruits, but it's, you know, Mish Powell, who was a walk-on and came to, came to Washington as a walk-on. It was not your ordinary walk-on. He proved pretty early on that he, he deserved to be on scholarship somewhere. He could have been on scholarship somewhere else, chose to come to Washington because it was, it was his hometown and, you know, he's, he, he liked the academics and all those sort of things and earned a scholarship. Jordan Perryman's a transfer who wasn't recruited by really anybody out of high school uh, other than, than UC Davis and maybe Sacramento state. Um, and it's just, it was just not the, like I, they really like those guys. And I think they've got a chance to, to be pretty good and be pretty solid. And Mish Powell even played last year when they had two really good corners. Uh, but it's, it's not like the, the lineage that you've kind of come to expect where it's like, okay, here comes Keith Taylor and Elijah Molden. Here comes Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon. You know, here comes these other couple guys that Notre Dame and USC and Alabama really wanted or whatever. It's it's a little bit of a different look personnel-wise. Well, that's not reassuring, Christian. Well, but see, I don't mean it to, to not be. It's just like a <laughs> – it's kind of a different – right? I mean, you look, you look at Washington, if you're just like from afar, oh, wow, Trent McDuffie was a first-round pick. Kyler Gordon was a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. Those were first-team all-conference cornerbacks last year. And you know about Elijah Molden, and you know about Keith Taylor, and you know about Byron Murphy, and Taylor Rapp, and Miles Bryant, yeah. and Sidney Jones, and Kevin King, and Buda Baker. And you would you would think that it's somebody kind of with that like recruiting background and pedigree coming up next, right? And it's just they've they've kind of had it's it's interesting the way the roster has played out there. But I you know props to them for going and getting Jordan Perryman because I like he he looks like the real deal. They're going to have a couple transfers. They're going to play pretty important, immediate roles. He and and then the the middle linebacker that that came over is it Cam Bright mm-hmm. that they're really expecting those guys. They're they're gonna they're gonna step into immediate roles right right away. Yeah, I mean, because Cam Bright was was uh, was voted a captain. That's what's what's interesting, and I think. I would say encouraging in a way. I know like it's it's sort of a, a sign of the times and, and folks who are a little more old school kind of like raise an eyebrow at it. But four of their six captains came to Washington as transfers. And three of them are transfers this year. And there's one of two ways to look at that. Like, oh, wow, you know, that's – it used to be it was a, you know, fifth-year senior who, you know, grew up locally or whatever and, and – grinded and stayed in the program and, you know, came to be a respected member of the team by the end and stuck with it. And there's a couple of those guys, Alex Cook, Alex Cook and Jackson Kirkland, you know, both are six year seniors who were, mm-hmm. were picked camp to, captains, but Cam Bright was voted a captain. Michael Penix Jr. was voted a captain. Uh, Wayne Talapapa, who's going to be their starting running back, 
Virginia yep. transfer was voted a captain. And then Jeremiah Martin, who transferred in from Texas A&M last year, was picked as a captain. So I think the, the flip side of that is, well, you know, the, the, the guys that they've pulled from the portal and the guys they've identified as, as fits for them, both from a football perspective and, you know, as far as who they want in the locker room have risen to the top as guys who are, are leader types, right? I mean, Cam Bright was a captain at Pittsburgh last year. So, I mean, the fact that, that he came in and Talapapa too, I mean, Talapapa wasn't even here in spring. He got here in the summer and, and his first practice, you know, shoot less than a month ago was his first practice with Washington. And the fact that they've, they've added some guys to the roster who immediately earned the respect of the team and were guys that, you know, voted on by the players that, Hey, these, these are our leaders. These are our captains. Um, I think, I think that's a, an encouraging sign that you're, you're adding the right kind of player to your locker room. There are three, I would identify three potential sort of factors, explanations for why this is happening. One, it's more common to transfer now. Like that's, it's, it's a different element of the game and something that college football has been fundamentally changed in the past five years by the transfer rules. Number two, it's a, it's a coaching transition. And it's not like the coaching transition from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake in which, at the very least, one side of the ball stayed completely the same. Like you did not have a change in, in, in scheme then the way you are now. The third part, and I think this is this is the unanswered question, is how well the cupboard was stocked. Because one of the things that I really liked about Chris Peterson's approach to recruiting was that they did not cast a wide net. They they really did narrow in on guys that they liked, that they thought fit in their program. Like they were and and I think Peterson took pride in that. That this isn't uh we scattershot our our offers to guys that we think athletically meet our criteria. Like they're, they're more selective than that. The flip side of that is that it, it leaves more room for error because if you focus on a guy and spend all that time working on him and he doesn't pan out the way you think he is or doesn't progress, or there's a coaching change and perhaps the guy who was the defensive coordinator becomes the head coach and maybe he's totally ill-equipped to be the head coach and some of the development and the improvement that used to be seen from those players is no longer seen that the cupboard might not have the the kind of talent that was expected to be there which of those three do you think most explains the fact that they're four of six captains are transfers hmm I mean, I think there's always going to be an element of number one. That's just part right. of that's just part of the game now. I think it's fair to say there were there were some holes in the roster mm-hmm. that needed filling. I mean, yeah, because it wasn't just Cam Bright at linebacker. They went out and got Chris Mole, another yeah. six year guy from UAB who's played a ton, and he's in the two deep. Like a linebacker to me is especially interesting to look at through through this in this context. If there were no transfer portal. Um, they probably keep Jackson Sermon, yeah, and he's starting, and it's probably and then it's like between Alfonso Tupatala and Carson Bruner alongside him, one of those guys will be a backup, and then you've got like Daniel Hamuli on the depth chart probably, and very very little behind them until Edifuanuilfoshio recovers from from injury. But because you have the portal, you lose Jackson Sermon to Cal, but you're able to go out and get Cam Bright and Chris Mole. So now you've got two six-year guys in your depth, 
and a fourth-year guy, Tupatala, who's who's starting for the first time, Bruner, who's played a little bit, who's in the depth, and now someone like Haimuli is not even listed on your your two deeper. He might be like an or situation, but you're you 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 effectively were able to turn a position that was like, oh my gosh, who's who are they going to play? They 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 get one or two injuries, man. They're looking really thin. Into okay, like that's actually competitive now. That's a pretty that's a pretty good looking room. So, I it was precipitated some by the fact that like they had guys transfer out. They had, I mean, it wasn't just you know Sermon this year, but Josh Calvert transferred. Mickey Ayu didn't work out. I think he quit football. I don't I don't know that he resurfaced anywhere else. Um, you know, like DJ Beavers a couple of years ago had to medically retire. And so a position that, yeah, they, there were some recruiting misses. There were also some guys that were, you know, decently rated as recruits who didn't work out, guys who left, and then the, the portal cuts both ways and you're able to, to sort of restock it. I think at corner, you know, Trent McDuffie was in his third year of eligibility. Um, Kyler Gordon was in his, his fourth year. He could have come back for another year, uh, you know, you lost those guys because they were really, really good because they did develop on time. All right. They developed ahead of schedule. They were first or second round NFL picks with college eligibility remaining. So, you know, needing to go into the portal to replace somebody like that, like that's, that's kind of the way you want it. Right. And that was one thing Jimmy Lake always said was that, you know, I hope we lose guys early every year because that means we're developing them for, for the NFL. Um, it's nice to say that, but you know that's why recruiting is so important. So you've got guys you you can depend on who are replacing them if if they do leave ahead of schedule. So it's it's a long winded way of saying I think it's a little a little of column one and a little of column three, where yeah I think the staff came in and looked at linebacker and was like oh okay like we need a guy or or two like right now, um, and and corner and said okay well this was a you know the strength of the team last year but those guys are leaving so. Let's go get somebody with experience to help out. Yeah. And watching their middle linebackers play the past few years, like I've tried to keep it very much like you can't complain about the performance of of a player. I, I don't think you should complain about the performance of a college player, but they didn't have they didn't have the combination of size and speed they needed at middle linebacker. Like that was very clear since Ben Burkhurvin they've they've struggled at that position to have ha, to have someone who's capable of, of of being an asset at that spot do you remember when people didn't like ben burke Irvin? yeah <laughs> i do and it was always hard for me to understand because i was like that dude is around every play like he's he's always there and there's this, like yeah but he's small and i'm like i i honestly could not remember situations where i was like he just wasn't big enough to make that play like he was always around the ball and it after him realizing that i think he covered up a lot of things for that defense because he was so freaking smart he definitely did i remember his junior year people were like pissed that he was playing ahead of azim victor yeah victor was an victor was a tough one because he looked so dominant and he was such a, an emotional leader. And then he had the, that, that brutal injury, right? Against, he was against USC, the night game where he suffered the broken leg. Yes. And because I remember asking even – because I, I loved Azeem Victor. And I remember asking a couple NFL 
personnel guys about him, like when he wasn't playing. And they're like, yeah, his his instincts. He he de- he's he love the attitude and the energy he plays with, but his instincts are not are not great. Um, and and that was and about that time, I stopped wondering why he wasn't playing more. I think BBK got. I mean, he he had a rough game against Stanford. I want to say that year where he got a couple of runs um, where guys really you know lowered their shoulder into him and, and dragged him, and and people kind of had that in their minds. And then he went out and had like five thousand tackles as a senior, and I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, okay. Well, now I feel kind of silly for saying this guy shouldn't have been playing." Um, but it was kind of the same thing with with Jake Browning too, right? Like Jake Browning wasn't good enough. Like yeah. you're like you're entitled to watch a better quarterback than Jake Browning. Yeah. With Jake it was he didn't show the progress I think that everybody hoped for after seeing him him play as a sophomore. But there was also a lot of things that went into that. Um there was Jake Washington's been tough on its quarterbacks, man. Like for the for the amount of success and and the best quarterbacks that we've seen, Washington fans have been pretty tough on them um, for a pretty good group of players at that position. So, what's your expectation for for Michael Penix? Well, like what's good? What's good enough this year from him? I'm going to base it entirely on on what how often he is able to get the ball to their playmakers. Like that's. The, the yards and and how how well he throws downfield and, and all of that I'm gonna I want to see him be able to get the ball to Jalen McMillan and Romid specifically in in places that they they can do things with the ball like to me I, I want a functional passing offense like my standards are so low Christian <laughs> like after but it, it really like just 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 do something do not run. Do not run the most predictable offense in the world. Like I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to see no, no read option from him. That, that'd be great. I don't need to see any read option anymore uh, out, of the, out of the college quarterback at the University of Washington. But just functional, like feature the most dynamic playmakers you have on the team. Thank you. If you had to, to rank them in order of guys you want to, to touch the ball the most, who are your top three on this team? Odunze is clearly Odunze is clearly number one, and Jalen McMillan is not too far behind. Giles Jackson, am I wrong to think that he's he's gonna be someone that, that's gonna be a factor this year, that they should get him the ball as well in some opportunities? Is ch- shot he's he's your slot guy? He'll play. Uh he won't start, but they're gonna rotate receivers a lot, I think. And you know, they'll throw the ball a lot, so there'll be more targets to go around. I think, yeah, I mean, Odunze and McMillan are, are clearly the top two. I don't know. I mean, I feel like between carries and receptions, a running back is going to factor in there somewhere, right? And, man, Ryan Grubb, just from the second they got Wayne Talapapa, like committed to them from the portal, seems like he's just been set on him as as being number one and loved the camp he had. Obviously, the guys respect him. They voted him captain. He's experienced. He's sort of... Uh, He's, he's been more of, I feel like he's been more of like a short yardage goal line physical type guy. He hasn't had a ton of double digit carry games throughout his career. So I wonder if they see him featuring like that. Obviously like Will Nixon is going to play 
and then some combination of Cam Davis and Sam Adams, I would imagine we get some carries too. But I don't know. I mean, if Talapapa is a guy, like you'd say, okay, it's Odunze and McMillan catching the ball and then catching and running. You want to see Talapapa touch it. I guess you, it, you know, if you want to look at it this way, if you're a Washington fan, you probably want to see Talapapa get a lot of carries because that means you're you're scoring a lot of touchdowns or you're getting a lot of first downs. Um, you know, if they're able to, if they're able to run the ball. And, and don't and don't have to throw it, but I, I mean I think Jalen Polk is is probably in that conversation. I was you know that was the one surprise of the depth chart was that Taj Davis is actually listed ahead of him right now, which I think is is encouraging too because that means that he's really come on because they talked about Odunze McMillan and Polk as kind of their top three for a really long time. So the fact that Davis had a good enough camp to be slotted ahead of him right now maybe maybe says more about the camp he had and, and less about Jalen Polk not getting it done. So I think all those guys are going to play. I just think Polk is a really good, solid, dependable possession guy. You know, I think he's someone that's going to get open who Penix is, is going to come to sort of view as a, a security blanket, so to speak. Um, who's you just, you just know if you put the ball near him, he's going to make a play on it. He's not going to let it get intercepted. He's, He's just got a very for a guy who technically is I mean it's his third year in a college program, but he's still a freshman because twenty twenty didn't count and he got hurt mm-hmm. last year and, and stayed under the four game threshold. Um he's got a very mature game for a receiver who really hasn't played like a ton of football. So I think he'd be he would still be my probably number three as far as how the touches are gonna shake out, but it depends how you factor in the running backs. Now, when he got hurt, did he get hurt against Michigan last year? Montana. It was his very first catch. And was it a chest injury? Is that right? I think it was his collarbone. Okay. I want to say. Don't quote me on that. But I. It was and it was like serious enough that he needed emergency surgery like that night. Oh, that's 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 brutal. Because he's he's a smaller dude, correct? Like he's he's not the he's kind of does he profile as as more of a slot receiver? Um, I, so I think that they can play anybody in the slot. Like Grubb mm-hmm. talks about, they really like to move guys around and take advantage of matchups and they don't want the defense to be able to key on like, this guy's just going to line up out here. This guy only runs this route from, from this position. And they have, you know, certain traits that they're looking for, for each of the, the receiver spots, I mean, the, the X, the Y and the Z. Um, and you know, a Grubb was pretty emphatic the other day saying, you know, someone asked, does this team have a, a receiver who can really take the top off a of defense? He just immediately was like, Rome. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's so they think they know what those guys' strengths are, but he he likes having packages, and I think he likes having the, the quarterback able to move guys around too, to put those receivers in different spots, to take advantage of matchups, to make it so that, that um, DBs can't just key on them and the routes they're going to run based on where they're lined up. So I think you could see a number of different guys lining up in the slot. I think McMillan did quite a bit in camp, if I'm remembering right. I think Odunze even is a guy you can you can put there and, and he can do some of those things. And you know, Jackson obviously has the the more traditional slot frame, the way people usually think about it. But Polk I mean, he's not he's not he's he's listed at six two. I mean so six mm-hmm. two six two and about two hundred pounds. So all those guys are you know, have kind of more ideal size to play on the outside, I think. Do you get a sense of how much of a receiving target the backs are going to be? Yeah, I think quite a bit. They have to be. I mean, this offense, like they've made very clear from day one, like if you can't catch the ball, you're not going to play running back. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they threw, you know, like last year at Fresno, having Ronnie Rivers and Jordan Mims, like that probably was the most ideal combo you're going to have as far as guys who are really good backs who also can catch the ball. Like Ronnie Rivers left, excuse me, left Fresno like top 10 um, in school history and some career like receptions numbers and stuff. And he had basically every receiving record for by a running back at Fresno state too. So, you know, I, it depends maybe a little bit on talent and what you have and what those guys are good at. But yeah, I mean, I think they're going to, they're going to throw to the, to those guys a lot. It's like, especially somebody like Will Nixon, they went out and got from Nebraska. Wonder if, wonder if he's regretting his decision at all. Um, no, man. And he would have been puking. <laughs> he would have spent the entire, well, he wasn't an offensive lineman. So maybe he would have, he would have gotten off the hook in that. Yeah. Card. He was, I think he, he came to Nebraska as a receiver, but he was mostly a running back in high school and Washington lists him as both. Although he's basically only practiced at tailback, I think. So if he's your number two tailback, I mean, that guy can line up in the slot too. You can line him up wherever. Cause he's got experience doing both. So, you know, him especially, I think, gives them a, a receiving threat out of the backfield. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna look to see I thought John Donovan's offense, because it was billed as being pro style, you put meant that they quotes. were going to throw the ball to the running backs. John I, Donovan's offense, air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it should be. Like anytime it's referred to John Donovan's offense, can you hear the air quotes that I'm putting around it? You thought it was gonna—they were gonna clear. throw to the backs. Like you thought it was gonna be functional. <laughs> oh, because he was a running backs coach in the NFL. <laughs> Silly you. Yeah, that has he surfaced anywhere? He is a defensive quality control coach. <laughs> Are you serious? For the Packers, I think. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he's a senior analyst he's a senior analyst on matt lafleur's coaching staff uh, wow mm, yeah I, I i i hope he trips and falls over something today like nothing i don't want him to injure himself just trip and fall like his a shin a shin to a coffee table like just give you one of those things that really smarts poor john donovan no Poor, not the operative word, not, not given, not given, not given what, uh, the overall exchange of what he was paid for what he produced not poor. I've got a, I've got a a ranking game for you, Christian. Okay. I want you to, this is, this is going to be tempting fate. Were Washington to lose to Kent state on Saturday, where would it rank? in terms of the overall severity of defeat, like the implications. And I'm going to give you four, four defeats to choose from. First one, last year against Montana. The second one, the 1985 loss to the Oregon State Beavers. Mm-hmm. Or- Oregon State, epically bad, like in the middle of a historically futile run. Like, absolutely, unbelievably, unwatchably bad. Referred to as the Barney Fife of the Pac-10 in print in the Seattle Post-Intelligencer that day. And they came into Husky Stadium and, and upset the University of Washington. Number three, the third defeat I have on this list. We're going to go back to 2003, October 11th, Washington 
losing at home to Nevada, which at that time was still Nevada hyphen Reno. They've, I, I believe they've since changed. I think they dropped off the Reno, but then they were Nevada Reno. They lost 28 to 17. Chris Alt was that was the coach who was a former Husky. Uh, Blaine Newnham, the, the, uh, uh columnist emeritus at the seattle times that day i believe wrote wondering if washington had made the right call gilby was the coach at that point that perhaps they should have gone to chris alt because he really loved wasn't it the chris, university of washington wasn't it chris tormy oh tormy you're right it is tormy i alt's a different dude uh yes it was it was chris tormy you're 100 percent correct so chris tormy's the coach blaine writes that they maybe should have hired chris tormy tormy was fired by reno at the end of that year that's how good that Reno team was. And then the, the fourth defeat, the fourth defeat on my list, my, my list of, of awful, horrible, ignominious defeats is the, the game against the University of Miami <laughs> in, in 2001, in which I, I, is it 62 to 7, 65 to 7. They just destroyed Washington. Like it was the it was the wooden stake through the heart. Like Washington did not recover from that defeat for five or six years. It was so bad. Where would the, the a loss to Kent State rank on that and the pantheon, the pain of defeat? I'm I'm glad you included Nevada because that was immediately where my mind went. Um, that, that was the, that was right when it was the declaration of like, okay, this team sucks. Yeah, like this this program is terrible because I look back and they'd lost two games already, which I was surprised to see that. But they'd lost at Ohio State and at UCLA. So you could still talk yourself. They were three and two going into that game and you could still talk yourself and it'll be OK. This is just a rocky. And then they lose at home to Nevada and you're like, nope, terrible, absolutely awful. And that is what happened. It's it's an interesting comparison, though, because at the at the time. Losing to Nevada was like losing to Montana for them, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I don't think there's a comparable non-conference loss like in in modern college football, like modern Washington history before before Nevada in 2003. Um, it's, I don't know that there is it. Like it's not Oregon State because, I mean, I think this Kent State team is better than that Oregon State team was comparatively. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? I mean. Yes. Because yes. Oregon State was a was a doormat at the time. I mean, it was the perennial last place team. Kent State's like getting votes to win their division in the MAC, and the MAC is the MAC. Yeah. But you know, is a is a top tier MAC team worse than an Oregon State team from the nineteen eighties? Probably not. Um, Washington was favored by thirty eight points in that. Yeah, and they're game. only they're only favored by twenty three <laughs> this weekend. So. <laughs> They were favored by 38. They lost 21-20. I think it would fall in its own unique category. I think Nevada, like uh, to answer your question, Nevada is the closest comparison for me because it is. Yeah, they're G five team. It's a team they should definitely beat, but you know it's in the back of it's in the back of Husky fans' minds. Like well, Montana last it's totally year. Po- it's totally conceivable they lose this game. Like yeah. it. We're last last year, I was blindsided. I was like, it is not possible for Washington to lose this game to Montana. Like here, I'm like, they should win. And if they don't, I know what it means, and it's horrible. It is firmly within the realm of possibility that they lose this game. It's not Arkansas State last year. Like that, that Arkansas State team had no chance in Seattle. Kent, there's no, Kent State has no reason to think that it can't win this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I I don't I don't think they will. But I like first game with a new coach one year after you had the worst non conference loss in program history. Maybe worst loss in conference, worst loss in program history. Like, I, are we willing to go that far? I called it that. I called yeah, it that. I think it is. It's certainly the it most is. embarrassing. Yeah. Now, people. Yeah. Some people do throw out the Oregon State game. Some people take nah. it differently. They throw out UCLA in 1990 because of the stakes, and it was a really mediocre UCLA team. And if they'd just beaten them, maybe they'd get national championship consideration, all that stuff. But I, I thought it was the worst one. And it, yeah, like no, it was Montana. If they lose to Kent State, like that goes on the list. But yeah. it's it's nowhere. It's it's nowhere near Montana. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole different echelon. It's probably. It'll probably be more like the Reno game in that it shows you, it gives you a mirror of where you're at, and it's really ugly. Yeah, like it, like where it's like, okay, take take a look because this is what you are. Because you you look at what happened after that, after that loss to to Reno, and it's I think they finished that season six and six, and then the next year the bottom completely falls out. Gilby, they have the weirdest press conference in the world where they announce that Gilby's not going to come back. He's not going to be rehired, but he's going to finish out the season. And people are like asking Gilby if he's going to help pick out the new coach. And <laughs> it was just horrible. Just the whole thing was horrible. They did that with Tyrone Willingham too. After they lost to Notre Dame at home to fall to 0-7, so like officially eliminated from bowl contention. They had a press conference and announced. I think it was with Scott Woodward and Tyrone Willingham. Uh, yeah. To announce that he would would be fired, but that he would finish the season. I remember someone asked asked Tyrone if he if he agreed with the decision. <laughs> He's like, I I do. It's I've been yeah. clearly terrible. <laughs> oh yeah, they had to. I mean, they had to do yeah. this. Uh, now, the one thing I'll say, and there are not many positive things I have to say about Scott Woodward. The one positive thing. I, at least he was as angry at Tyrone Willingham as I was. Like, he, at least, like, his seething anger was clear. Like, he kept it, but didn't let it come out directly, but you could tell he was as mad as 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 I was. Like, I, I, I felt a little bit vindicated, or that there was at least my, my frustration was being uh, channeled by someone in power. They played lost at Arizona that year, like, 48-14, to 14, and Gronk, Caught a couple touchdowns. I mean, he just got destroyed. I think they dropped to 0-5 that game. And I remember Scott Woodward was there. And I was at the student paper. So, yeah, I don't... Like, I didn't have a true appreciation, like, how bizarre this was at the time, like, fully. But I remember at halftime, he, like, walked by, you know, the Washington writers who were there and said, Hey, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk with you guys. Catch me on the field afterward. I'll talk to you guys. And it was literally like him saying, I know, I know, I know, I need to answer for this in some way. I'll, I'll talk after the, and it was, it was basically him saying after the game, it was him saying like, yeah, this is, this is really, really bad, but I don't want to, I don't want to basically, I think the term he used was he didn't want to orphan the players. I don't want to, I don't want to leave our team without a coach. I'm not making a decision right now. It was basically his way of being like, look, it's over. We all know it's over. He's getting fired. I know, really, you know, relax, but it's not, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow, basically. <laughs> God. And he indicated we... at halftime that that would, <laughs> that he would be making those remarks <laughs> after the game. <laughs> I'm going to let you guys know. We know the patient is dead, but we've just got to play out the string. <laughs> There's a process here, folks. 
Uh, were you at the press conference then when, when Tyrone asked Bob Condotto, what do you want me to do? I was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, you don't, you don't seem real bothered by any of this. Is this start? <laughs> Bob, I love Bob and Bob, Bob, for the, the question I think that he asked him was, it's the most rushing yards that anyone's ever allowed in Washington history. Do you have a reaction to it? And Tyrone what do you want me to do, Bob? Jump up and down and get mad about it? And Bob just goes, I don't care what you do. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> that was an all-time era for press conference questions. You had that. You had you had Chris Fetters just like, asking if EJ Savannah was part of the team because he'd been away from the team. And Tyrone pretending like he didn't know who he was. Uh, who? I don't, I don't know why you're giving me that question. That was that was bizarre. That's on YouTube, by the way. That's a fun one to look up and, and watch. Um, Molly Yanity also asked one of my all time favorite post game questions, uh, where I think it was after it was after Arizona in two thousand seven. So it wasn't the year he was fired. They blew like a fifteen point lead in the fourth quarter to Willie Tuitama. I want to yep. say, yep. And you know Tyrone gave his tip. And Arizona wasn't any good that year. And Tyrone kind of gave his typical like. Well, like this was our this was our best effort, and you know we we're we're playing you know we're playing as well as we can or, or something like that. And Molly asked, if this really was your best effort, why should anybody expect that you can win another game this year? <laughs> and there was no good answer for that. No, there's not. <laughs> oh God! Should we pick some Pac-12 games? Yes, let's do it. All right now. So- you, we're going to do this. We're going to pick the Washington game and three Pac-12 games. Yes. And you're going to choose the games, and I'm not going to know what they are. So I'm going to go blink Malcolm Gladwell style and just like off the top of my head, like Homer Smith used to call plays. Okay, so we, we have to pick uh, Oregon, Georgia. Yes. And let me get a good line here. Uh, this one's This one's a little bouncy. Um, we'll go, we'll go Georgia 16 and a half. Okay. I had Georgia 17, Georgia 16 and a half. It's a lot of points. I'm taking Georgia just cause I want the ducks to weep. It, it's against, it's against my nature to pick the ducks. Even if I hope they lose by three and want them to cover, I, I'm picking Georgia. So I'm, I'm now that I look at this again. Let's go with 17. I think 17 okay. the. So you're taking Georgia to cover the 17. Yes. I also like Georgia to cover the 17. Um, Oregon's really talented. Obviously, they've recruited really well. They got a lot of nice pieces. I think defensively they can hold up, but I still have a lot of questions about how quickly that offense can gel. And you know, is is Bo Nix the guy to to solve their problems? They got a first year coaching staff. And this is technically a neutral site, right? But it's it's basically a Georgia home game. It's in yeah, it's yeah. Oh wait, I was looking at Chick Fil A. Yeah, it's in Atlanta. Yeah, so I I wouldn't be stunned if if Oregon kind of hung around a little bit, but I I just think Georgia with with the continuity they have coming off a national title, uh, facing a, a first year coaching staff that has a lot of questions to answer offensively. Um, I think there's some questions about 
you know, how reliable Oregon's going to be at the skill positions, especially outside at receiver. I think they've got a good offensive line, a good group of running backs, but uh, I think the the Georgia talent is going to be too much. So I will also I will also take Georgia to cover that. Um, our second game, Oregon State Boise State. Ooh, that's a good one. And that's a very good one. Got Oregon State right now by two and a half. I'm going Boise State. Going to take Boise State. Yeah. I'm going Boise State. I don't know how the Beavs are going to feel about being favored. <laughs> it's got to be an uncomfortable position for them. Boise State's got a, a legacy of being in. This is not a, this is not a team that is going to be uh, impressed or cowed by facing a Pac-12, a Power 5 conference opponent. Yeah, I got, I, it, it's not on the blue turf, but I like, I like Boise. I like the Beavs. Um, this is a, it's kind of a sneaky, brutal non-conference schedule for Oregon state this year. I mean, this is a, this is a, a tough opener. I think they, don't they also play Fresno? Yeah, they've got, they're, they're at Fresno state next week. Uh, so this is, you know, kind of a, a tour of the mountain West best for these first they, two weeks. What a stupid way to schedule. Like you get all of the downside of getting teams that could totally beat you and none of the upside if you beat those teams. Yeah, it's, it's, uh. That's a dumb schedule. It's a weird combo, but I think I think the uh, twenty six thousand four hundred and seven capacity crowd at the mid renovation Research Stadium is is going to be rocking for this one, and I'm taking the Beavs. The fighting Jonathan Smiths. Yes, I like them to make a bowl game this year, and I I'm probably going to pick Fresno next week in that game. I just think Fresno State's going to be really good. So I, I I don't I don't see an zero and two conference start for them. So I'm going to take them to to cover the two and a half. And then before we get to Washington Kent State, we have to pick Utah Florida. That's that's the matchup, right? Um, yes, Utah. Especially everybody's talking big about Utah. Utah is minus three in this game, and it's in Gainesville. It is. Florida's going to smoke them. You think so? Yes, I do. I think Flor I think Florida's going to wallop them. I don't think it's going to be all that close. Like I think, I think Florida is going to get up to above thirty. I don't think Utah's scoring twenty points. So you're you're buying Billy Napier in year one. Yes, yes. I think I think I think Florida's winning this game. Is this like a Pac-12 team goes goes way east and south, and the time difference and the swamp and the atmosphere and the humidity and everything gets them, or you just think Florida's going to be that much better than them? I think they're going to be that much faster. Okay. I, I think I think this is a totally different level of speed, and the fact that it's down in Florida. If it was in Utah, if it was in Utah, I think it's different. But because it's in Florida, and yeah, yeah, I I, I think I I think Florida's winning this game by double digits. I like Utah to cover the three. I there might you know I I I thought it was a bold look prediction. You believe? Look at you believing in the Pac-12. I thought it was a bold. I, I'm, I'm I'm picking against every Pac-12 team, and here you are going for two or three. Listen, Kyle Whittingham is in his 49th year as head coach of the Utah Utes. He's got it's the exact same surprise, a really good running back mm-hmm. who scored 21 touchdowns last year. Tavion Thomas is back. Cam Rising uh, really came on. Who knows what their record might have been if they'd actually started the best quarterback on their roster from day one last season. They kind of kicked the, like, the first half of their schedule because of that. They have the right quarterback in place. They got a ton of returners. This team knows what it's like to to play on the big stage. 
Uh, they they have high standards. They're not going to be intimidated by the crowd at, at the swamp. They're going to go in and they're going to take they're going to take a a six to ten point victory. I'm going to say the margin's going to fall in there. You're going to come out of that game feeling like Utah was clearly the better team. Everyone's going to be talking about how impressive. Look at this team, Kyle Whittingham, in the twilight of his career. Maybe who knows? Maybe he'll go another thirty years. We'll see. Is putting together. This is his best team yet. They put it all on. They put that on the field in week one. They took it to an SEC team on the road. I'm buying. I'm buying the use this year. My, I was going to say my bold prediction, and I thought it was bold at the time, was that Utah is going to end the Pac-12's playoff drought. But then when our national staff did their playoff picks, a lot of people actually picked Utah as the number four seed. So maybe it wasn't such a bold take. But you think it is, obviously. Yeah, I do. I think Florida's winning this game. Does Washington? Who is, who is the least impressive opponent from a Pac-12? I'm going to give you a choice here. Is it Stanford playing toothpaste? <laughs> Colgate. They take on Colgate, or is it USC playing food <laughs> in Rice? Well, you know who Rice's uh, <laughs> offensive coordinator is. Uh I did, but now I've forgotten. Double, who is it? Double check. It, it is Marcus Tuiasosopo. Oh, it is. Yeah, I did. I had read that. I had read that. Yeah, I love Marcus, but he he he, he he's coaching for food. He's coaching for Rice. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Colgate. Yeah, it's, it's got to be like, Colgate. Like Rice, at least is. is I don't in the realm. know that I could have told you off the top of my head that Colgate had a football team. So yeah, I would, I would, I, I would completely agree with you. When I saw that it was a football team, I was like, huh, that's a little bit surprising. I know they got a hoops team, and Donald Foyle went there. Little like would not, have, would not have known on gut instinct that they had a football squad. Let me double check that uh, Washington is still a, a twenty-three point favorite here. Do you like them to cover the the 23? It is 23. They're not covering. I don't think so either. They're not covering. I they're going to win the they're going to win the game but they're not covering. Total's 59 and a half. I go under on that. I go under. New quarterback. I think I'm going under on the 59 and a half. Do you have a score? Since I think we did scores last year for all the Washington games. So let's let's roll with it. I'm going to say, now I've got to make sure that I don't screw it up. With the, I'm going to say Washington 31, Kent State 24. So I picked this, I, I picked the whole season today, and I, I called it 38 to 20. So I also think Kent State covers, but Washington went straight up. That's 58, so... I guess I'm also taking the under. <laughs> How strong do you feel about that pick? Uh, pretty strong. I like. I yeah. think. I think Kent State's a, a a pretty solid MAC program. They got their I think new quarterback, but their leading rushers back, their leading receivers back. They play. They play fast. They play up tempo. They'll definitely challenge the defense that way. Um, you know, I Washington obviously is more talented, should be more talented. The depth, the size and everything should win out eventually. Um, and I think, I just, I think they're better coached. I think they have a better offensive scheme. So um, I guess I wouldn't be stunned if they covered, but I just think game one, new staff against again, a team that at least knows what it's doing. Um, I don't, I don't see them covering 23. I am hoping, I'm hoping, and this is my classic 
that by picking a closer margin of victory, I will find it more encouraging when they win by what they should. Like when it is a double-digit cushion, I'll say, see, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't as harrowing. It wasn't as, as nerve-wracking, as nail-biting as I thought it was going to be. Do you have a season a season record prediction? Or if not a prediction, then like a, a record that if I, if I told you right now, hey, they're going to finish with this many wins, that you would say, oh, okay, that's, that's if acceptable. They with, if they finish with eight wins, I'm going to feel pretty good. Okay. They win if they win eight games this year. I'll look back and say like that is that if they're if they're eight and four at the end of the year, I'll I'll say I'll say okay, like that's that that that's that's a real sign of improvement. I'm gonna quietly hope for nine or ten, but eight wins eight 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 wins will be a significant improvement. I called it seven and five, I think so, and I could see, I could see eight. I think it's doable. You sure you don't want to pick Wazoo, Idaho? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, because I because I want the Cougs to win that game. Like they got a new coach, they're feeling good about things. I want the Cougs to win. Yeah, I'll pick. I'll pick that. I think the Cougs are going to win thirty-eight to twenty. Is there even a line on that? It's sometimes hard. It's hard to find the. I have a couple books have it twenty-eight. Oh, twenty-eight, and a half. Man. I'd lay I'd lay big money on them covering twenty eight and a half against Idaho. Really? Yeah. You'd lay the lumber on that? It's Idaho. It's Wazoo. Air raid, Cam Ward, you're not you're not buying him? They have a transfer from Incarnate Word. Yeah, and he's really good. <laughs> he's transfer from Incarnate Word. Had you ever heard of that college before? I had. So that one I had. Really? Yes. I think the football program is relatively new. But they also have his head coach from Incarnate World. I know. Yes. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, what's what should happen when he, Incarnate Word's quarterback has a just crazy good first two years in his career? What should happen? Sure, he should get another opportunity. He transfers. Just, he transfers just, to a Power 5 team. I'm just saying this would be very cougish if they went out and laid an egg. Well, it, it would. It, it, it would be very cougish. Listen, if Mike Leach were still there, there'd be a whole lot of Wazoo fans going, eh, "No, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I am staying far away from putting money on this one against a Big Sky team. The Big Sky, the, the Big Sky, Big Sky did not sit well with with Mike Leach. But no, I would, I would take Wazoo to, to cover twenty eight. I think that so, we won't, we won't count that in our picks though. So, so uh, I found the Mike Leach equivalent of international soccer. It's a guy named Christian Bielsa. Bielsa, uh, he's Argentinian, and he was the coach at Leeds. I've been watching more Premier League and kind of becoming a Leeds fan. And he was fired last year. And he's he's they call him an I I'll probably mispronounce the word aesthete. Somebody who is very concerned with aesthetics of the game. Like he doesn't believe in changing the style based on situation. Like you have one style uh, yes. of offense you play. Like you don't you don't pack it in if you've got a one goal lead and really need this win, and and it created some problems because they it, he was hugely successful and everybody loves him because he's this fantastic guy and he loves this beautiful style of soccer, but he wouldn't make accommodations of like, okay, we need to make sure we win this game so we don't get relegated, and he wouldn't he he wouldn't change like nope we're still going to push forward we're still going to attack. And they they blew some games last year, and he got. I was like, it's Mike Leach. It's the guy who's like, this is the way the game will be played. 
We will not play it any other way. Like we will not. And it creates the possibility like for Mike Leach. I mean, at Texas Tech, they were beating teams that they could not recruit against because he was so devoted to the style of play. But they're also eminently capable of losing two teams that have no business being in the game with them because he refuses to compromise on the style of football he plays. I was like, it's it it is the Mike Leach equivalent. <laughs> that is dead on Mike Leach. Yes. It was just like this is what we do. This they figured us out. So do it better. <laughs> like no adjustments. No. I have discovered this is my offense in its purest form and we will not we will not deviate from it. Well, in uh in true Mike Leach fashion, Say Who Say Pod will not be making any adjustments either this season. <laughs> more more awkward pauses coming to you in the near future. You get what you get. <laughs> Till next time, everybody. <laughs>